This is a Power 98.7 podcast. Now we're talking. Subscribe to Power 98.7 podcasts in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. There's more on power987.co.za. Dr. Yoandri Wright is my guest, post postdoctoral fellow at Northwest University, legal scholar with a research interest uh, interest in public sector corruption and municipal government. A lot of things going on in there, in that particular space. But let me bring Dr. Yoandri Wright into the conversation because we're talking about um, whistleblowing and what needs to be done about whistleblowing and whether there's, you know, space for incentives, financial or monetary incentives for whistleblowing. So, yeah, John Jeffrey, the Deputy Minister, my guest on the other side, and of course, this is also something that they would be looking into. How do we get to a space where whistleblowers and their rights um, are actually protected? Rights and protection uh, taken seriously of whistleblowers. And we've seen what's happened to whistleblowers in this country. We've seen also how government has treated them. We've seen the media statements about, you know, uh, government's responses sometimes. And yes, government responds, you know, uh, linguistically when they speak in a certain way, but practically also uh, they don't sometimes come to the party. So you also have to begin to ask, you know, where is government in this conversation and how serious is government in this conversation? Because, you know, if you're going to say something, then you have to follow it through, right? So if you're going to start a conversation about whistleblowing and talk about the protection uh, of whistleblowers, and yet we see how whistle whistleblowers are either, you know, violated in their spaces of work and or, you know, other places violated by, you know, uh, communities sometimes and, and institutions like their workplaces, and then um, no, no intervention of any sort, how do you protect that particular whistleblower? And then if you look at, you know, the, the one where people are now beginning to die and you look at Babita, for example, uh, Diokran, and then you start getting to, you know, issues of assassination. And when people talk out, that is the ultimate result. Then you have an understanding of what the consequences are and what the stakes are. And the stakes are high. In, in, in a particular space like ours. And it's becoming, you know, the stakes are becoming higher and higher in a country like ours, unfortunately, where, you know, in the old days, you know, previous times, one could say, you know, uh, whistleblowers were ostracized. They were ostracized. They were left out. There was no protection. They were either fired, you know, and they suffered on their own. Nowadays, when they, when you do blow the whistle, you run the risk of an assassination. And that's become a thing now within this country called South Africa. Dr. Yoandri Wright, welcome to Power 98.7. Welcome to Power Perspective. How are you? I'm well, and you? I'm really, really well. So, um, Thank you for having me. It's, it's an absolute pleasure. Where, where do I find you in the world tonight, Yoandri? I'm in, I'm in Potiphar. And I've actually recently moved universities, so I'm now a postdoctoral fellow for the Dalla Omar Institute at the mm. University of Western Cape. Yeah, it's a recent move, so we're looking to move towards Cape Town within the next two weeks. 
Oh, look at look look at you. Um, you know, killing two birds with one stone. There, <laughs> <laughs> killing two birds with one stone. Um, yeah. Um, so you're at UWC. I'm. You you're saying. Yes. I know that I know that campus well. It would have changed. New buildings would have come up, but but I I spent four years of my life there at at that particular university. So I know where exactly where it is and where it's situated, and 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 I probably know where you're going to be more or less have an office as well. So yes, <laughs> I I can see all of it. But but you excited <laughs> you excited about the move, uh, Yoandri? Yes, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to starting there and just getting to know campus and all of the things that go with it. Why the University of the Western Cape? You're wondering, is it, is it, is it just where the position became available? You know, what, what, you know, do you, did you look at it as something that will take, take your, um, you know, your, 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 um, you know, your, your studies and your, 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 your analysis of various aspects further? Why, why did you choose? What, what, what made you go? I think the research, the hmm? research agenda of the institute kind of convinced me to you know, make a move Mm. because they do quite a bit of interesting work on public governance in general. Mm. So I think that was kind of the carrot for me. Sure. So we've changed it now. It says postdoctoral fellow at UWC. Look at that. It's on the system already. So the next time someone talks to you, they'll say, Dr. Yoandri Wright, postdoctoral fellow at UWC. Yeah, things change fast. Doctor, we're talking yes. about we're talking about you, Andrew. We're talking about quite a serious thing. Let me let me just gather gather the conversation into one firstly. Where okay. where are you in this conversation of monetary or financial incentives for whistleblowers? Let's let's just start off and kick start so I know from which particular argument or space you're going to come at me with. I think I'm not really coming with a, you know, completely for or a completely against argument at this Brought point. I mean, yeah, because, mm. <laughs> you know, it's it's something, well, it's not that new to the South African system, but it's something mm. new that we have to kind of investigate. And I'm usually a cautious type of person. I like mm. looking at all of the pros and cons before really making a decision. And in the end... You know, a legal system is a fickle thing. It's only as well as as the people that implement it, you know. Mm. You can have very good laws and things in place, but if you don't implement it like it was meant to be implemented, then yeah. it's, you're not going to get the results that you wanted. Isn't, isn't that the reason why we're having this conversation in the first place? When you said the Precisely. legal system is a fickle system, yeah. uh, and, and so we're having the conversation because something's not working within that space. And so now we're, we're, we're looking at putting a sort of bandage on, on it, or we're looking at, you know, doing something around it so that it works. But, but something obviously is, is wrong in that, and, and just referring to exactly what you said, um, you know, if if the system works, the system works, and we wouldn't be having this conversation and talking about you know assassinations and and how you know uh, whistleblowers are treated in this country. Yeah. So now we need to see where the where the problem lies or where the specific gaps is, so we can at least build in some form of safeguards for these um, people. Sure. Um, talking about then where the problem the problem lies. Let's 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 start with where the problem lies. Um, um, 
the problem lies with the fact that you could lose your life. I mean, that's that's the that's the ultimate problem is is that you you know you here today, you gone tomorrow. But but there's a lot of other people who are suffering because of what they did as well, and people have had to leave the country. Where's where would you begin to say is the problem uh, um, in the first place? Is it a problem with legislation? Is it a problem of how we fulfill that legislation? Is it a problem with the criminal justice system? Is it a problem with the way, you know, we investigate things? Is it a problem with us as a society, you know, that we're, we're you know, morally off on the campus because, you know, we, 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 we kind of sometimes want to justify things that are, you know, neither here nor there or criminal, depending on who we're talking about. So, you know, if it's somebody we like, then, oh, well, it's kind of okay. But if we, you know, not talking about somebody we like, then, you know, then, then the system is not working. Where, where exactly is it? Where, where, where's the problem, do you think? Or is, you know, or you, you're going to give me a combination of everything? It, it, it might be a combination of everything, but I'm a legal scholar, so mm. <laughs> I will stick to my expertise in this case. Sure. So in my analysis, I do think that we have some legal gaps that need solving. Um, mm. For example, we have, everyone knows about the Protected Disclosure Act, and then yeah. there are a couple of other pieces of legislation that actually tells us who are entitled to receive protection. And I mean, yeah. people... People like CEOs, municipal managers, um, your senior financial staff, auditors, mm. they they are mostly excluded from these definitions if they report on someone that's not directly their employer. Mm. Um, and then people might turn around and say, yeah, well, a CEO, he's supposed to, it is his job, he's supposed to know about it and report on irregularities, and he shouldn't be rewarded or protected for doing so, which in my view is kind of fatal Mm. um you don't want whether it's your job to report on irregularities or not either Mm. way you're not supposed to be in danger not you or your family yeah and maybe if we can change legislation a little bit to be more open-ended in that instance then Mm. maybe that could be a symbol that we are serious that maybe we should um the police should have like a very a more active role in protecting these people. Mm. Um, we shouldn't really forget that everyone, regardless of whether you decide to be a whistleblower or not, we are all entitled to be protected under, um, you know, fundamental rights and so on. But yeah. whistleblowers put themselves in a unique position to be vulnerable. So mm. it would just it would just make sense to give them at least physical protection. Sure. So let me let me have that that legal that legal perspective from you. Are you are you saying to me that uh, in all the legislation that's there, that there are and all the other pieces of legislation around whistleblowing and the protection of individuals, that it's not protective enough, or and 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 I want I want to have an understanding, or um, the. It is protective enough. We're, we're just through the various phases, the police, the justice system, or, you know, the, the, the employment spaces that you occupy. We, we're just not geared to, you know, looking at that legislation and, imp- and implementing it. Or is it your opinion that, you know, it, it has gaps and we should plug those gaps? Or I'm, I'm trying to find out how how strongly guarded the legislation that we have is 
for the protection of these whistleblowers and or there's a justification for a conversation that says, yes, there's legislation, but it needs to be fixed because one, two, three. So what we do have in terms of protection um, is the Public Disclosures Act. We've got Mm. the National Environmental Act and the Companies Act. So they mainly give um, protection in regard that relate to occupational detriment, right? Sure. So you're not your job and your career is not supposed to be affected by your disclosure. Not supposed then to for be. Physical, mm. Then for physical protection, we've got the witness protection program, but mm. that is exclusively if you are used as a state witness in mm. some kind of court proceedings. So you could have made a report and the state can, for some other reason, choose not to have you called as a witness. Mm. And then you're not entitled to those physical protection measures. Mm. The occupational detriment is all fair and well. Mm. But what about people instituting defamation actions against you? Mm. Um, Or, you know, there's there's other types of retaliatory actions that can be taken against you that's Mm. not necessarily... Um, aimed at your livelihood, at your job specifically. Mm. Sure. So, so where where then do we begin to have a conversation about a monetary component? Um, uh, I was looking at some of the, the the aspects, you know, in the world, and I see some European countries have uh, are applying the protection and 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 applying, you know, monetary financial aspects, and I think there's three that do it, you know, pretty well. The U the United States of America does it, and you know, there's some criticism there, but ultimately, when you look at the general broad, you know, practicality and implementation in the USA. They're saying generally that it works. Um, so, so in a in a country like ours, when when do we be, we begin to differentiate between what is your moral obligation, your social obligation, and and you know your your individual space and monetary reward for something that. You know, it's when when you speak out against something that's wrong and not right. How do you overcome the the moral conversation of of this in the first place? So for me, I think we need to distinguish between three concepts first. Sure. So in my view, you would have compensation, which is a sum of money that a court would probably um, order that you be paid, and that is to make up for the retaliation action that that you had as a whistleblower. So maybe you lost your job Mm. and you were without an income for 24 months and the Mm. labor court would give some of compensation to you. That I think every whistleblower should be entitled to anyway. It shouldn't be seen as a reward because you shouldn't be punished for being a good citizen. Yeah. Then you would have money support. So between the time that you blow the whistle up until you get compensation or be reinstated or find yourself in a stable position again that you can take care of yourself, Mm. there's a lot of needs that whistleblowers have to um, satisfy. For example, they need legal advice. In some instances, they need medical care. In other instances, they need Mm. social services which may or may not include um, counseling. Mm. 
So they need to have access to finances to be able to do all of these things, to mm. travel to and from court proceedings and all of these things. Mm. So that on a case-to-case basis, you might need to make monetary provision for that as well. Mm. And in my views, I don't see that as a reward neither because sure. that is expenses ours that's flowing from the disclosure. Yeah. So a reward should be a sum of money or some, some kind of other recognition that's above and beyond those two. Mm. And that is where many of the um, foreign systems, that's, that's um, money rewards for them. Mm. So that is where you get paid for being a good citizen. And I think sometimes that might work. I'm mm. not necessarily convinced that it'll work in South Africa, but we do have some examples of some existing provisions in our law where we have actually employed this. For example, mm. um, subs make use of informants quite regularly, and mm. that is where you're paid for information, and that's not too far off of a whistleblower going to the police station and giving a piece of information and then being rewarded for it. Sure. So, so you you've said a lot, and you've you've nicely put it, com, you know, compartment, uh, sort of div, divided it for me. Let's let's talk about because I understand the first two. Let's talk about the last aspect, the monetary financial aspect of it. And I and I think you you spot on when you say that there's the crucial aspect to it. How, how do you how do you begin to differentiate between how you then physically go about that? Is, is there any conversation in your circles or, you know, the kind of literature that you're beginning to read that speaks of some kind of fund whereby the first two can can be funded, uh, the one where people need the legal assistance and also, you know, the, the social assistance, travel and the medical. And, and I get that perfectly. And I think, you know, I, I can't, I can't, you know, differ with you on that. How, how, when we get to the third aspect, how are the playing fields there already? Because you mentioned SAPs, and I think intelligence uh, services also has that particular aspect of where intelligence services pay informers also. So SAPs would pay, uh, in, you know, our intelligence services would pay for information. And sometimes there's abuse there of those particular systems. There's a, there's a, privacy or privacy element to it you you know you don't know how those slush funds are being used so how then do you get to a conversation with us to begin to say we need a general fund then that looks after all of this when actually in fact there's processes in play already and maybe we should just strengthen those so that is the, that's exactly the point I'm not too convinced mm. about. So yeah. the Department of Justice recently published a discussion document. Unfortunately, the time for public um, inputs have mm. lapsed. So we had until the 15th of August to give some uh, ideas. Yeah. So their idea for now is to establish a fund. Mm. or it's recommended that a fund be established that can be financed through the recovery of assets. Mm. They also draw heavily from a study done by Lisbon, and they recommend that a fund be created similar to the UIF fund, and then another levy would be um, put off against your salary Mm. every month, like we pay the UIF levy. Yeah. 
I'm not entirely convinced that in the current climate of corruption, state capture, all of the hula baha that we have hmm. now, hmm. that establishing another fund with and more levies and things might necessarily be the way to go. And societies already, and, and society and how they feel to all of these funds that are already being abused, and now you're asking exactly. them to do something like that. Uh, it's like it's for example uh, the you know the NPI the the NPI um, um, the, the 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 you know the medical uh, changes that yeah. we're looking at. The first thing that comes up is is a conversation about you you're going to corruptly u- utilize the funds before you get to a conversation about how practically it's actually going to enhance or deal with you know the problem of health in the country. Yeah, we need to also take into Sorry, it's the consideration NHI. Mm. the um you need to take into consideration public perceptions mm. on whistleblowing as well. So currently with the assassinations and everything taking place, we can possibly say that the rest of the community or at least a part of the community do not look favorably on whistleblowers. Mm. So establishing another levy with more money that goes from the taxpayers to this fund might not necessarily be a very good way to go about it. Mm. Um, But Mm? we have the National Environmental Management Act, and I haven't come across it being used that often. But Section 34, if I'm not mistaken, actually does make provision for a 25% or up to 25% reward being paid to a whistleblower if they gave information that led to a successful penalty being imposed for environmental statutory crimes. Mm. Um, So it's not a completely foreign concept in our law. Mm. Um, We might be able to adjust what we have slightly, maybe extend the scope of what we have. Mm. We also have private prosecutions that work more or less the same as the U.S. False Claim Act that um, and the other act that works for their whistleblower reward system. Mm. So we have a public prosecution system in South Africa. The only problem is our public prosecution, um, private prosecution system does not provide for the person instituting the prosecution to actually get rewarded. Mm. They may only be reimbursed for their expenses and legal costs. So, I mean, maybe we can build from that as well, but it's not, in my view, entirely necessary to Mm. um, establish a whole new system Mm. with a whole new fund. With what you're presently talking about and the systems that need maybe to be tweaked, let's just, you know, give me an understanding of the discretion that's used. At, at what discretion? What, what's the discretion used as to, you know, the kind of monetary or financial, you know, uh, rewards that that could be paid off? Do you think that that is something you need to put in into the legislation? Um, you know, because I, I, I have no idea as to what the value of particular information would be worked out. How would, how would one begin to go about? In, in, in your head, how would... And how do you value information? Do it because so information usually, is not it's not always, you yeah, know, like yeah. from a monetary component. <laughs> so usually what they do, um, 
that I've come across with other um, jurisdictions is they usually link it to the actual fine imposed ultimately. Mm. Um, or they would look at the money value or the prison sentence or the seriousness of the crime that's about the information that you're going to give. Sure. So, so that's usually how they link the value of the information. And then they look at how useful the information would have been. So mm. if this is just a small piece of information that led me to the bigger pieces of information, but it was still quite a lot of time and effort to put the whole thing together, mm. then maybe the reward would be less than someone bringing uh, significant information and I almost don't need to conduct a further investigation. I can almost just immediately mm. go to a prosecutor and we can continue prosecuting the case. Mm. So I think it's a, depending on how serious the crime is versus the amount of resources that the state saved by using the whistleblower's information. And, and, I'm, and I'm assuming the ultimate goal in the broader conversation is detection and, and, and deterrence. Um, so, yes. yeah. I think that would be the aim, right? In 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 all aspects to it, and not in and not from. So so we're looking at it as a conversation around a monetary incentive, a financial incentive, but the ultimate aim of all of this and where you want to get to is detection and deterrence, and and put people off from from these things because you know somewhere, someplace, somebody might just rat on you. Yeah. Yes. So it's playing on the fear of getting caught. In other words. Sure. Do you do you need to factor in a deterrent as well? Um, you know, so that uh, not not every Tom, Dick, and, and and Harry starts picking up the phone and 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 you know dubious information and false tips and 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 all sorts of things that that begin that begin to to flow into a system. So yes, of course, you know what what you're going to have is you're going to have state capture capacity types information and you're going to have there's a police guy in you know vehicle vw326 whatever and he comes to this corner and he, you know he picks up a 50 rand from a particular individual for for them selling drugs every particular day you know information is going to be vast how how do you how do you begin to you know or do you need to to work in a deterrent for you know people who are also just you know, falsifying and giving dubious information? Because you're going to have to do that. Yes. So most of our um, anti-corruption policies and even the Public Disclosures Act, even the Prevention and Combating of Corrupt Activities Act, they all have strict prohibitions against Mm. malicious and frivolous reporting. Yeah. So that's one thing. Um, And then they're accompanied with... Kind of stiff penalties, so you you will be liable for a fine or a short term of imprisonment should you make such a report. And then, of course, you can always add an additional layer of screening the reports that you get. Mm. But again, um, you need to weigh up whether the reward will actually be worth having an additional administration layer to screen the reports. I mean, in the South African context, I can't really vouch for how much human resources we have or do not have, how much budget we have mm. for that or do not have. But it's something that perhaps the um, legislature should take into account. Mm. 
because you you will definitely have to screen reports yeah um when you have these rewards in place to avoid a lottery mindset so to speak setting in in the community yo Henry, how do we how do we differentiate between you know when when we talk about whistleblowers we also we always referring to you know these massive massive criminal syndicates or you know the 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 crimes that that occur and there's normally you know millions and sometimes billions in of rands in that particular space so yes you know uh, those whistleblowers run the risk of assassination and then we find that they you know will will sit with all of these you know components of what you spoke to earlier on you know they might be fired they need travel they need legal assistance they need all of those particular things how do you how do you sort of you know give the carrot to all sort of layers in this particular instance so not only somebody who's reporting for example and reporting state capture which is you know the ultimate i suppose uh, of whistleblowing but then somebody also who's just reporting on that policeman who's taking a coke at the corner of the street who's not going to potentially get any reward because that value of information aspect comes into play you're not necessarily going to need you know legal advice in this particular instance you're not going to need any of those particular things but you 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 want those people to come forward and report all instances of criminality so you're going to have a you know a scale of state capture on the one side and the you know coca cola on the other side and and then somebody's going to you know you you how are you going to incense in in incentivize somebody you know who who nece- who not necessarily is not going to get any reward from coming forward so my, many studies actually um recommend that an ethical culture and a public service driven through integrity is one of the best methods what did, what did you just say so. yoandri no um, no i heard you i heard you yoandri I I I was just looking in the irony of 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 that particular statement <laughs> that you said. No, I heard you perfectly well. <laughs> mm. So, yeah, that's difficult and it starts from leadership, hey? Mm. So, if you have a leader a leader like a municipal manager that's really driven to serve the public and to just act ethically, mm. it's usually the people beneath him follow. So that's one way to instill this ethical culture. And I really think South African legislation and policy cannot really do more than it had. Like we have um, integrity management frameworks and anti-corruption policies that's right up there with Ghana, who's got the best Mm. um, whistleblower laws in the world. So I don't really think the law there is the problem. Sure. But I will leave it there for now. Mm. A different thing is to ensure that you've got reporting channels in place. Yeah. Um. So internal and external. So within your institution and out of your institution and to have the option of reporting anonymously. Because a lot of people don't want to have their identity mm. coupled with this report. Mm. Um. And then thirdly is just having protection in place, whistleblower protections in place, and demonstrating your ability to enforce those protections. Mm. So, you, Andrew... So it is simple things, mm-hmm. but 
they carry a lot of weight and it's maybe not always as easy to implement those three things as saying them. Mm. Would you agree with me, Yoandri, that the opposite of what you've just said is also true? So that if you need, you, you had leadership, ethically inclined, everybody beneath them would follow and instill a culture and, and, and that is how it would work, right? Yes. So the opposite would also be true. If leadership was unethical, those beyond beneath him would follow suit, and the, that that following suit would instill a culture of criminality within a big broader system, and so uh, that's that's ultimately then leadership and political will where the terminology of state capture was used, and I think we saw it in that particular country. So then in. Here we are talking about leadership, ethical leadership, those beneath that leadership to act in a particular way, instill a culture. We've seen the opposite also happening when state capture was 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 happening in this country. Leadership behaved in a certain way. Everybody took advantage of that particular space, behaved exactly as that particular leadership did, and that unfortunately instilled a particular culture that we, we saw today. And 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 that's what state capture presented to us. So um, the the opposite, unfortunately, is also true. Yes, it definitely is. Even though it's it's yeah. Yeah, what what's the difference, Johanri, between whistleblowing and plea bargaining? I I think I I know the difference, right? Uh, but but you know, is there a is there a fine line in 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 for instances where you know, plea bargaining becomes a tool, uh, a whistleblowing tool, and because you've got the incentives in 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 you know for whistleblowers, that you you begin to use that as a reward for for other reasoning and not merely because you just wanted to see criminals behind bars. You 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 you're now in a space of plea bargaining. A- Angelo Agrizi uh, is is you know if if I think of somebody who's in that particular space that I'm talking about now comes to mind, uh, and you can agree or, or, or not, but in, in in the way I look at it, you know, it, what what's how, how do we how do we prevent or you know do we need to prevent the aspect of plea bargaining into whistleblowing and and not being rewarded for something of that particular nature? So you see, this is the difficulties with not having a very clear whistleblower definition in mm. law. Because it really depends on what angle you want to take when you define this concept. So we have some countries and some scholars that believe a whistleblower has to be someone that make reports out of goodwill. Then you have other scholars that believe that we define whistleblower because we want to protect the person. So we will say that whistleblowers or any person that is at risk of retaliation because of a disclosure they made. Sure. So two very different um, uh, ways to define the concept, and Mm. maybe both of them, in their minds, I had the same type of person in... In in mm. you know in their mind to define it, yeah. but it's got different effects because if you use the second example, then plea bargaining is for all intents and purposes fine. Yeah, but with the first one, it starts becoming a gray area. Um, it also depends on what you try to achieve. So for us, if we want to 
um, make way against organized crime and corruption and state capture, you know, these very complex networks of mm. criminal activity, mm. then maybe we should still look at plea bargaining and people entering into plea bargains as potential whistleblowers and mm. maybe people that would need assistance and protection. Mm. But it's all that is all still up in the air, and we hope that the legislature would maybe show some direction anytime soon. Mm. Johandru, how far how far down the road are we in 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 this conversation? Just just give us a an idea. You 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 spoke earlier and said you know there's there's various concepts being put forward. Government is thinking of of one way of doing this, and and you know there's the aspect of a fund and and you know coming from the recovery of assets and the other fund would almost be a UIF kind of levy where. Me and you would pay, you know, that levy and, and, you know, all of these interests of whistleblowers would be taken care of. How far down the road are we or are we at the very early stage or, you know, we, we're discussing a concept that's not even, you know, properly, you know, digested yet and, and it's five, ten years, twenty years down the road. You know, where where are we in this? Do you do you have a feeling of of, you know, where the conversation is? So if I'm, I speak under correction, but I believe that there has been a research commission appointed now yeah. um, that's actively busy doing research and um, starting with the legal drafting maybe of a bill or something, but that's in the initial phases. What we have done is we have seen this discussion document, which is kind of preliminary research. We've had mm. the Zondo Commission's recommendations for whistleblower protection. Yeah. And then Department of Justice have had quite a commitment to push this thing forward. So it might not take as long as other bills um, might have dragged on, because it seems like this is a quite immediate need, and it seems like they want to um, fill it. Mm. The only Downside to this is our administration is ending soon with elections next year. Mm. So we hope the elections won't delay the process because usually with a new administration, there's new priorities. Mm. So we hope the new administration will keep this also as one of their top priorities so we can see, you know, some mm. at least a bowl before the end of next year. But that might be a little bit optimistic. Mm. From from a, from an academic perspective, um, what what are the what are the key elements? And you know, just to round up the conversation, what are the key elements you you want to see in in such a bill? Yes, of course, you know you've you've spoken to the compensation part, the monetary part, and then you said there's the reward part. But but any legislate legislation of this particular nature needs to take. What aspects into consideration where where you're concerned? What are the key key that you can't have a conversation of this nature without? I think we first need to decide on who would be the whistleblowers and maybe differentiating who would be the whistleblowers that would be entitled to receive protection, who will be entitled to receive support, and who will be entitled to receive compensation. Mm. Maybe also have... Uh, some mechanisms in place to streamline streamline access to compensation because mm. there has been, um, you know, previous cases where it took four to seven years for a whistleblower to access their compensation where they were unfairly dis- 
yeah. sorry, dismissed. Yeah. And then maybe to see some basic protections being elaborated and not just for when you are a state witness. Mm. And that would be physical protection for yourself and your family. And then some civil civil and criminal immunities. So when sure. I make a report that I am guaranteed that defamation and a breach of non-disclosure agreements and all of those other things that come into play mm. won't be, um, you know, won't, mm. won't be held against me. Sure. When you when you look at when you look at the the final question, when you look at the the world and 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 the way it works around whistleblowing, are you comfortable enough that this is a conversation we should be happening, we having, and and South Africans should be protected in the way because you know this this thing does work in the world, and we can only benefit from those countries uh, that that have that have put you know the monetary. And I'm just talking about the. I'm not talking about the protection of of whistleblowers the rights and the protection and and you know what what states need to be do need to do and how we need to look after all of the uh, the various aspects and how they get treated in this country uh, are there enough international examples to say to us yes it's something we need to look at but look at all the the kind of things that you've just pointed out so there are about 22 foreign jurisdictions that use rewards in one way or another mm. with varying forms of success. So sure. some have significant success, some success is marginal, but all in all it would seem like all of the scholars, the social scientists sure. that did the empirical work, they all seem to in the end agree that it does mm. work. Mm. So maybe, you know, we won't follow the United States, example, yeah. maybe we will just have a simple informant system, but it would seem that it does work, or at in the very least to give some form of recognition. So if money incentives don't work and mm. we decide that it increases the risk of more corrupt acts rather mm. than preventing them, have a different form of recognition in place, like awarding them medals. Um, I mean, South Africa, we have quite a bit of prestigious medals and awards that we can give mm. to give recognition to these people. Sure. Dr. Yoandri Wright, thank you so much for coming on to Power Perspective tonight. Thank you for coming in and, and having a chat about it uh, with us. Um, and I'm also going to say good luck with the move. Um, and, Thank you. and yeah, I was in the Western Cape recently. Uh, if you're looking at the pictures, yes, it's flooded. Um, not sure, you know, which part of the Western Cape you're going to be wanting to live in, but yeah, choose a place that's not flooded at the moment, right? <laughs> <laughs> you saw the pictures. Uh, I'm, I'm just telling you that as a, as a warning sign, but yeah, but it's, but it's, it's lovely down there. The weather's great. Um, the wines are great. The mountains are awesome. Uh, people jog ar- around the promenade. And, and, you know, if you go up north uh, to, to Paternoster and you go the other way to Neisner and George and still by beautiful part of the world. So a little bit jealous. But, yeah, you go, you, you go and live your life, Yoandri. <laughs> thank you so much. Yoandri, thank you for coming on to Power Perspective tonight. Sure, that's you, Andrew Wright, postdoctoral fellow at the University of the Western Cape. You've been listening to a Power 98.7 podcast. For more podcasts, visit power987.co.za.
or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.